Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning, Hill City. How are we? Good, ready to go. I love it. I love it. If you'll, uh, if you'll, if you'll turn to Colossians, the book of Colossians, actually the letter to the Colossian church, uh, we've been walking through this. The spring will be in it. Uh, this winter, welcome to the cold part of Missouri this week. Uh, Cross is going to read our passage for us this morning. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, 6 through 23. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ." Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, you, who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rules. Rulers and authorities and put them open to shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment in one you just questions of food and drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance of belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from who he whole body and nourish and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died in the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do not submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to these that all perish as they are used. According to human self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but there are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Thank you. Good job. So, as we look at this letter to the Colossian church, we, but even before we jump in this series, we spent some time teaching you how to approach letters like this. And one of the things that we often do in church is we just jump into a passage not understanding how it fits. You remember that talk? If you, didn't, if you don't, weren't here for that, go back a few weeks. You can watch that. So, before we jump into chapter 2, or you just read, let's, let's go back. So pull out your Bibles, pull out your phone, and kind of back up. Let's see the flow of what's happening in this letter to the Colossian church. So he starts in chapter 1 with just an, introdu- an introduction. Hey, it's Paul, I'm writing to you. He has a prayer of thanksgiving for them. And then he goes to, in, in verse 15 of chapter 1, the preeminence of Christ. So he starts the meat of his letter with, here is who Jesus is. And Scott taught us that a couple weeks ago. Jesus is the head, he's over all, he's in all, he is the point of everything. 
Then he goes on, and down in verse 24 of chapter 1, he says, okay, so now Jesus is the head, and now he looks at himself and he says, I rejoice because I'm suffering for this gospel, but I believe that Jesus is over everything, and even through my suffering, it's okay and it's good, and my suffering is on your behalf. And then in chapter 2, he, said, he encourages them, like, listen, I'm suffering. I want you to see my suffering for Christ, who I believe is overall, and now I'm inviting you to that. I, I want your hearts to be knit together in love, to be joined, to be built up, because you're going to suffer. You're going to go through some things. And so if you follow his pattern, it's Christ, the supremacy of Christ. It's his suffering for that. It's that their identity is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's their identity. And now they're going to go through some hard times, so he's calling them. Here's what it looks like. And look at verse 6 of chapter 2. Therefore, okay, here's a rule of Bible study. When you see the word therefore, here's what you need to ask yourself. Why is it therefore? What happens before this? See, what Paul's going to get to today is what he's been setting up for two pages. You see that? For two pages, he's been setting up this reason, this logic, to get to where he is today. So he says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, the supremacy of Christ, so walk in him, rooted, like your roots firmly going down deep in Christ, built up in him, in Christ. Established in the faith, just as you were taught. So here's what's happening in this church. They're a young church, and there is a group of people that are pulling them away from Christ. They're in the church. These teachers are coming in saying, okay, yeah, Jesus is good, but you need this. You need something else. They're pulling their focus away from Christ as the center and that's why for two pages, Paul has been kind of going on this logic to get to this point. One of the primary thoughts of the book of Colossians is this, that Christ is the center of everything. That what it means to be human is this old humanity that you used to live in, but there's a new humanity in Christ that should be the center of everything. It's bringing them back to Jesus as the center. There's a word, it's actually the title of this sermon today, and the word is shadows. You'll see it later on in this passage. The writer of Hebrews uses this term too. Here's what the idea of shadows is. That if we see a shadow, so my shadow's back here. It's not me. It's a shadow. This is me, and there's the shadow. And so what, hap what he's going to say in our faith is at times we can get focused on the shadows of the Christian life, and not that which is truly Christ. When you think of this sermon today, when you think of this passage, I want you to have this metaphor of shadows. Now, just to let you in on like speakers and preachers and what we usually do, is we usually have a cute story or something at the beginning of our sermon to make you laugh and connect and then say, okay, now, and it's supposed to connect to the passage. Just to let you in on what we usually do. I tried thinking of something cute for shadows to get a story to help you relate to that. I thought about how the moon, there's always a dark side of the moon, that you, there's always a shadow on the moon, but then that just led me to an hour of listening to Pink Floyd and, want, and all that, and so can't go there. And then I thought of Peter Pan and how he lost his shadow, and I was trying to figure out how that applied to Colossians, and it didn't. So I have no cute story to connect shadows to this passage, 
But when you think about this passage, I want you to think shadows. This Colossian church is being tempted to focus on the shadows and not Christ. And that's why he says, walk in him, Christ. Be rooted in him, Christ. Be built in him, Christ. Hear me. Christianity is Christ, period. Is that what you think of when you think of Christianity? Or do you think Christianity, oh, it's, this is what it looks like to live. Here's the rules. No, Christianity is Christ. We just sang this song, Cody led it, abide with me. This is the prayer, this song, it's beautiful, walks through all these seasons of our life with this prayer, God, in every season, whether it's uh, when I was young, where I am now, to death, would you be the center of it? Could I abide in you? And that's what he's calling them back to. Christianity is Christ. Paul didn't see the death and resurrection of Jesus as something that's good for people who are on a spiritual journey. He saw it as essential to what it means to be human. That the new humanity is one that's rooted in Jesus is in all and is all. That Jesus is the final revelation of what it means to be human. You want to know what it looks like to, to be your true self? Go to Jesus. Watch how he lived. Jesus is the new and better Adam. The first Adam messed up. The first Adam lived life on their terms. Jesus came as a new and better Adam to show us here's what it means to be human. Christianity is Christ. Now, the flaw of man, the flaw of man is we all look to something other than Christ to give us meaning. In a sense, we are all treasure hunters. We're all looking for something to satisfy us, every single one of us. The flaw of man is we look to created things rather than the creator, every single one of us. And religion, church, can be one of those created things we look to to find purpose and meaning apart from Christ. Hear me. You can miss Christ in the church just as easy as you can out in the world. So that's what he's writing to them. Verse 8. So he said, see to it now that no one takes you captive by philosophy and by empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So here, here's what we know, and, I, and I've tried to study this a lot. Here's what's happening in this Colossian church, is there are these false teachers that are coming along, and they're teaching uh, some sort of angel worship, like some sort of elevation focus on like spirituality and spiritual beings. And we don't know exactly what they're teaching, but something along that. And then they're teaching... Aesthetic regulations, meaning there's all these things you have to do now, rules for your faith, that if you will live by these, you can be a Christian. And this is what it means to be a Christian, to follow Christ. That's what's happening. And so, that, so what's happening is Colossian believers are being drawn away from the mystery that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And they're being directed to these shadows, these other things. You don't need something else. You need Jesus. And anyone that would tell you otherwise, well, it's Jesus plus this. They are pulling you to the shadows. 
well, yeah, I, I know you say you trust in Jesus, but if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a true believer. That is the shadows. It's Jesus plus this means I'm in Christ. We reject that. Here's the test. Does it have at its center Jesus the Messiah? Any philosophy, any worldview, any church teaching, does it have at its center the life of Jesus? That Jesus lived the life I could not live. Does it have in its center the death of Jesus? That on the cross, Jesus took the wrath that should be directed to me upon himself and died and taking that to the grave. That the wrath of God is satisfied in Christ because of the death of Christ. Does it have in its center the resurrection of Christ? That though Jesus was buried, he arose three days later, therefore bringing a power that now he invites me into. And there's power over sin in my life because of the resurrection of Jesus. Does it have at its center Jesus, the ascended Jesus? This, this is important doctrine that we miss. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't go to the Virgin Islands and sit on a beach with a cold drink in his hand. He ascended to the right hand of the Father where he now intercedes on your behalf. Do you realize that? The whole time you were singing today, Jesus is interceding for you and the Father. It is by my blood that they are saved. It is by my blood that they are saved by my blood. That's why you can come in here as dirty as you are and sing of a new identity. It's because you have a great high priest. Does it have at its center Jesus? At any stage in your journey, what you need is more of Christ. More of this belief that it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Not me in me, the hope of glory. At any stage in your life, you need more of Jesus. So here, here's an here's a invitation for you. This week, before you go to work or before you go to school, what if you took 10 minutes and read Matthew 5 through 7? It's a Sermon on the Mount. Many people believe it's kind of the pinnacle in the Bible of what it means to live in this new humanity. It's Jesus saying, okay, here is my message in its most condensed form. Read it and see if you don't come into your office with a new sense of hope and a new sense of love for your enemies and a new sense of how can I show mercy to people. See, at any stage in your life, what you need is more of Christ. Because as you center your life around Christ, the hope of him, as you read about him and how he treated people and who did he treat one way and who did he treat the other and what type of people those, we get that backwards sometimes, you begin to look like him. And think like him and talk like him. At any stage in your journey, what you need of is more of Christ. Uh, my wife tells me that when I'm on the phone with someone, she can tell who I'm talking to by how I talk. So she said, Daniel, when you, when you talk to your buddies back home, I got a buddy named Rance and we talk like fishing and stuff. She said, I always know when you're talking to him because your hick voice comes out. Because I was raised in a small town and it's still there. I, I didn't talk like that. And she said, it comes out. It's still in me. And when I get, when I'm around someone that kind of still has that tone of voice, like I immediately am drawn there. When you surround yourself with Jesus, you're more drawn to Jesus. And what's happening in the church, instead of being drawn to Jesus, they're being drawn to the shadows. Away from Jesus. And that's what he's pulling them up, pulling them back to. So he talks about this, this new identity that they have. 
He's like, you don't, you don't need circumcision, you don't need those other things, like you need more of Christ. And he, look at verse 12, he talks about how they've been buried with him in baptism. And they've also been raised with him in the power of the working of God. So he points to baptism as a symbol of what it means to live out this new identity. So, so baptism Sundays, they're my favorite Sundays that we, we do at Hill City. So we bring someone in and we, and we sit them in the tank. And they're sitting there and it represents the old humanity, the old person. The, the focus of self, the focus of live life on my terms. On, on my terms. And the question we always ask people is, who are you trusting in for your salvation? Now, I've yet to have someone say, oh, myself and my religious behavior. Or, uh, you, Hood. If that happens, we will pull them right back out of the tank. <laughs> what do they say? Jesus. My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is Jesus. Hey, and we say, upon your confession of your faith, in Jesus, not in yourself, we baptize you. And then what do we do? We take someone down that represents the death, that represents dying to that old humanity and the water that that we wash them in like it represents that cleansing that Christ brings and then uh, I've yet to leave someone down because Jesus rose from the dead aren't you thankful for that and we raise them back up and that represents this new life in Christ that the identity is the old has gone been washed the new has come, and now I have this new identity in which now I'm to walk rooted in Christ. He points to baptism as an illustration of what it means to be rooted in Christ. At any moment in your life, you need the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus at any moment, at any point. That's what you need. If you're here and you've never been baptized and you're following Jesus, like you believe that you're rooted in Christ, you're, you're following him, you're trying to obey him, your next step is baptism. It's a command that Jesus gives us. It's a way to identify your baptism preaches a sermon better than any sermon we can preach. We always have on our website an opportunity for you to sign up to go through the process of being baptized. Many of you need to do that. Verse 16. Therefore, okay, you see it again. You follow his arguments. We have this big argument in, in chapter 1 and 2. And he says, therefore, be rooted in Christ, be built up in Christ, keep Christ as the center. Now verse 16, there's another for. Okay, because Christ is the center, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So here's what's happening in this church. There's, just, there's this uh, Jewish-Gentile thing where, um, and we don't relate to this. Like, how many of you spent this week, like, wrestling with what kind of Jewish kosher laws you should live by? Anyone? No. This is the challenge with books like this is we've got to learn their environment and then take it to our environment. Here's what's happening. Imagine being a new believer. You are a Gentile, meaning you're a non-Jew. You grew up in Corinth. You went to idol worship, you lived a crazy life, and then you moved to Colossae, this little town, and someone shared with you the hope of Jesus, and you were like, oh, I believe that. And now you're in this church with a group of believers, and you have a group of people that say, well, actually, um, Gentile person, no, that's not enough that you believe in Jesus and are trying to walk in him. No, you actually need to become also a Jew. So um, men, there's this little uh, surgery that we need to do. 
And if you'll come in the next room, then we're going to do that, and that will make you more like Christ. You see the problem? Uh, hey, yeah, I know you're trying to follow Christ, but there's like 532 Jewish laws and practices that you need to also know. It was a weight for them. Can you, can you begin to feel the weight of that? Or just like, oh, what do I do with this? So Paul's words in verse 16 had to have come as just like this. Oh, sigh of relief. Let no one pass judgment on you. In questions of food, what you should eat or drink, what you should drink, or with regard to a festival. Should I do this festival? Should I go to this Jewish Sabbath thing? Verse 17. These are... A shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So all these regulations that you've been told, hey, you need to also do this. He says, no, no, no. Because of Christ, be rooted to him. Don't let people take you there. Don't let people take you to the shadows. These are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you. Boy, could you hear the weight being taken off your shoulders if you're a new Gentile believer in this Colossian church. Don't let people disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism or worship of angels or about people going on in detail about all the visions they're seeing or people puffed up with reason by their sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from which the whole body, where the whole head is Christ, the whole body nourished and knit together there's joints and ligament grows with the growth that's from God. If with Christ you died to the spirits of the world, why would you still want to live in them? Don't submit to those regulations. He's like, they're shadows. They're shadows. So that's what's happening in their church. There's a group of people that are pulling them away from Jesus into all these other things. Now, here's our challenge. This is their world, first century. Worship of angels, Jewish practices. Anyone wrestle with that this week? Okay, I didn't think so. So now what we got to do, we understand what's he saying here. Now we've got to take it to our context. Because if you've grown up in church, if you've been around church very long, the shadows will begin to be very clear. And some of you already know where I'm going. So, so here, is, here is what a shadow means, like, like being focused on the shadow. There's a word I'm going to use for that. It's called legalism. Here, here's what legalism is, and it's really two things. Number one, legalism is keeping rules or doing the commands to earn God's favor. That's the first kind of what legalism looks like, the first face of legalism, doing the commands to earn God's favor, meaning doing the things the Bible tells me to do, but doing them not from a place of, oh, I'm, I'm in Christ, I'm loved by Christ, let me respond to this, but no, this will get me closer to Christ. This will please Christ. It's doing something to earn God's favor. Any amens here? Anyone been there? I spent years there. Of always feeling like I had to do something else to earn God's favor. And I remember I came across a verse, I'm like 24, 25 years old, and the verse says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm like, Why do I always feel guilty? Why do I always feel condemned? It's because I was trying to earn my God's favor by what I did. That's the first face of legalism. 
earning God's favor. Here's the second face of legalism. When I make rules beyond the teaching of Scripture and make those a requirement for other Christians. The first one, I'm trying to earn God's favor. The second one, I'm making rules that the Bible doesn't make and making them a requirement for other Christians. It's legalism and it shadows and it pulls us away from Christ. Because in both of these, where is the focus? Me and what I am doing. What's the focus of the gospel? Christ and what he has done. Now, conviction is different. So I can have convictions for myself on things that maybe the Bible doesn't directly teach, but I believe is what's true for me and what God is calling me to. So let me give you an example. Um, Emily and I are just starting to look for a new car because both of our cars have like 190,000 miles, and Emily's been stranded twice this week by two different cars. Um, we have a conviction that we're going to do everything we can to go pay cash for a car and not take a loan. Just, we're going to do our best to do that. Now, that's a conviction that we have. Just that this is what it looks like, we think, to kind of live under God's rule and reign. Now, here's the problem. If I sit on a church, hey, if you have a loan for your car, you're in sin. It's not true. That'd be legalism. You see the, you see the idea. Legalism is making a rule that the Bible doesn't make and then putting it on others. In both cases, the focus is the power of man. And when we talk about, you'll hear us use the term religion or being religious, and we're always going to use that term in a negative sense. Here's what we mean. Every religion is focused on you and what you are doing. How do I get from here to here? How do I do it? Christianity is the only religion where the focus is not what you and what you are doing. It's what Jesus and he has done. The whole book of Galatians, anyone read Galatians? It's about this very thing. Galatians, there's another church, and the, the circumcision is their issue. Do I have to be circumcised if I join the faith? That's the issue in Galatians. And Paul actually kind of gets smart aleck. You should read it. It's kind of funny. Um, so I want to read a little passage from Galatians, and I'm going to read it from what's called the Message Translation. Anyone familiar with the Message it's, it's written by Eugene Peterson. What he did is he took the Bible and he just, he puts it in like really common language. Now, I wouldn't like suggest you just only read the message, like have another Bible, but I think it's a good one to help you understand. But even when I mention, mention the message in church, I'm telling you, there are some people here, well, Hood, you shouldn't read from the message. I promise you. And if that's you, here's what I'll tell you. I wasn't going to, but Royce, one of our elders, sent it to me and said it was really good. So if you don't like it, email Royce. Okay? I'm just going to tell you that. Here's what Paul says in, in, in Galatians through the message translation. I think it's beautiful. Here's what he says. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. Anyone here? Anyway, yeah. It didn't work. So I quit being a lawman. So I could be God's man. And Christ's life showed me how. Do you see how it's rooted in Christ? Christ's life showed me how. And he enabled me to do it through the power of the Spirit. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego 
is no longer central. This is beautiful. I wish I could completely be here. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God because Christ lives in me. What if we could be there? The life you see me living, it's not mine. It's not my religious piety. But it's lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'm not going to go back on that. Is it not clear that for you to go back on that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Meaning, if you could earn your way to God, then Jesus didn't need to die. Legalism, trying to earn your way to God, or creating rules to prove that people are holy is an offense to the cross of Christ. Because it said the cross is not needed. And here's the trap of legalism. Is legalism is so dangerous because it doesn't make people ruin their lives. It makes people good and moral. Let me say, say this again. The danger with legalism is you don't ruin your life. You actually live very moral. I would almost rather you be a crack addict than a legalist. Because at least as a crack addict, at some point you're going to ruin your life and realize you need help. Legalism, you can live in your whole life and be a good, moral, put-together person and die separated from Jesus. So legalism takes the focus on self rather than Christ. And so in every Christian circle, and don't please don't, because I'm going to talk about the past some in, in recent Christianity, but don't you dare think that Hill City is not there at some level now. In every Christian circle, because of idolatry, there's always this temptation to go to the shadows rather than Christ. And he gives an example of some of the things they're saying in the shadows. Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And, and you know as he said those, there's all these specific things that have been said. These Colossus Church are like, oh, oh, I know what he's talking about there. Now, we don't know those, but there's people saying, oh, you can't touch this, can't touch this, can't taste this, can't drink this, can't eat this. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, he says, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He says, listen, they look good, and they appear to be good, and they appear to be holy, but they won't really change the heart. They're shadows. They're not the substance. So any youth group kids, 90s, 2000s, uh, you knew you shouldn't cuss? And so you put a rubber band on your wrist, and every time you cussed, whoosh, it's what he's talking about. It's damaging the body, bringing pain to the body to try to bring change in your life. And here's what he said. It appears to work, but it doesn't change the heart. So you may not cuss as much 
But that doesn't mean you're building up others according to their needs as God calls you to do. See, that's a heart change. So shadows, so legalism says there's, there's, there's these things and you shouldn't do this, you should do this, you shouldn't do this. And these become the focus. Now, let's talk, let's talk real life. You ready? Um, Anyone, we, this is a younger crowd, but if you grew up in the youth groups of the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, 2000s, here are some of the ones that we lived in. Now, this was pre-my time. There may be a few of you here that remember this. Dancing? Anyone seen the movie Footloose? With the pastor, like, if you dance, you're going to hell. Like, that was a real thing. That's not just a movie. Like, they made that movie because it was real. Preachers over and over in the pulpit saying, if you dance, you're going to hell. All right, youth group kids from the 90s, 2000s, you ready? Um, R-rated movies. They are not allowed. They are evil, and you will go to hell. Here's the only problem. Then they make a movie about Jesus that's rated R, the Passion of the Christ. Well, now there's this big thought, well, can we go to watch that? Um, Christian music, because music can be Christian, music can be safe, it has a soul, right? No, the, the whole Christian secular music debate, and so we were talking with some friends Friday night, and Emily's like, yeah, my youth group, we had a night where we all brought our non-Christian CDs, and we burned them. And there was like evil spirits coming out of my Nirvana CD, you know? Kurt Cobain, and he's going to corrupt. And it was a real thing. Like, there are people here, some of you, you could not listen to anything that wasn't Christian. Anyone? Yeah. Shadows. Shadows. I actually think there's some Christian music that needs to be burned because there would be demons that come out of it because it's so awful. <laughs> I, I want to break into song. I'm not going to. Okay. All right, here's a big one, uh, 90s, 2000s, church kids, uh, maybe even after that, the purity gospel. That if you grew up as a youth group kid, what was not taught is how to love Jesus, it was how to be pure. Now, am I for young men and women learning how to treasure Christ, even with their bodies and their sexuality? Yes, I am. But the purity gospel is a shadow. It is not Christ. And what we did is we burdened a whole generation of young people that any struggle meant you don't really love Jesus. And we taught them how to hate themselves and to live in shame. And it was from the evil one. Uh, any church camp dress code things. If you're a good Christian, here's what it looks like. Brad will tell you this. He went to a church camp where no one was allowed to wear shorts. So if you got a picture... July, 300 stinky middle schoolers and high schoolers and they're all in jeans because shorts are evil. Now, here's what I'll say about Brad's youth group. I told him this this morning. At least his way it was consistent with the sexes because here was many youth groups. Guys can wear whatever they want, but girls, you need to cover up your bodies because you will cause your brothers to sin and so now our young girls not only had to wrestle with their own sexuality and wrestle with that, but now they have the weight of the guy's sexuality put on their shoulders. And it's a setup for shame. It's legalism. It's toxic. Hey, more recent in my ministry, 
Should Christians drink alcohol? Anyone that drinks alcohol is a sin. Show me that in the Bible. It's not there. So, right? So legalism takes a focus on, it puts a focus on some things to the neglect of other things. Because what you don't hear in some of these circles, uh, you hear a lot of, uh, of preaching uh, against, about purity and about the next generation, what they should be doing. But you hear love, very little talk about judging and generosity and covetousness. Um, and, and so what happens in these circles is we can rant on what all the college girls are wearing. And then we go to our small groups and we do what's called prayer gossip. You know, that's where you sit around and, hey, we need to pray for so-and-so. Why? Oh, because all this happened. This and this. Okay, let's pray for him. And then we always end up with, bless their heart. Like, you can say anything you, in Christianity, you can say anything you want about someone as long as you say bless their heart afterwards. <laughs> Nelson is a jerk, bless his heart. <laughs> or here we go, here's another one. Uh, venting gossip. You go to your friends, oh my gosh, can you believe that this and this, well, I'm just venting. No, you're gossiping. All right, here's a big one. Uh, again, it's easy to, to look at the, the next generation is always the easy target. Adults, but what if we actually look in the mirror and look at our uh, overworking? And the fact that we grind ourselves to the bone and we're so anxious about work and we don't know what Sabbath and rest looks like. See, legalism, it takes some things and puts them at the center, and then some other things just get dropped off to the side. Um, again, we can make rules on what young people should or should not be doing with their bodies and sexuality as married couples, or we can actually step into our own broken sexuality, and even in our marriage, our sex is disassociated. We're not actually there with our spouse. We're somewhere else. It's easier, though to give rules for what other people should be doing. See, legalism, it takes the focus off of Christ and really the invitation for me to compare my life to Christ and it puts the, it puts the focus on something else and it's a setup for me to judge those that I think I'm better than. It's also a setup for shame. Because did you do your rules? Did you follow them all? No. And when you didn't, you hated yourself. We really confess this. We all want a faith with like clear, clean lines, don't we? A faith that I control. Just give me the list of what to do and not do because then I can control that. Anyone else, you want that list? It's crazy. When Jesus was asked questions, did he ever give a list? Come on, the answer, I'll help you. No, he took it to their heart. Hey, Jesus, what about this? Well, let me tell you a story. He didn't give them the rules. Why? Because as soon as we have a checklist, my faith will be off of Jesus and to myself every single time. Give me a list. I'll try to live it. And the focus is on me, not Christ. So he says, don't focus on these rules. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. These are shadows, meaning this, those rules, they can't change the heart. You don't need to stop doing X. You need a heart change. And the only way to have a heart change is to be rooted in Jesus. 
to know that you're, you're righteous in him, and to look how he lived and to say, okay, now because I'm righteous in Christ, I'm going to live towards that, not to earn it, but out of response to it. That's the goal of Christianity. So, so instead of focusing on not cussing, the new humanity of Jesus invites you to say, how do I build up others according to their needs? How do I walk into the office and, and come up to, to Rob and say, here's what I see in you, and it's good. That's a better life than focusing on not saying bad words. As opposed to avoiding pornography, a new life in Christ says, how do I have honoring relationships with the opposite sex? Not just focus on not doing this. Uh, instead of, hey, are you giving 10%? The new humanity of Jesus invites me to say, am I living a life of generosity? Legalism focuses on being nice. The new humanity of Jesus focuses on showing the kindness of God to other people. It's a different focus. Hill City, if we're not careful, our shadow Christianity that we will live towards will put itself against the message of the gospel that is Christ in me, the hope of glory. What if Hill City Church, and it's a big dream, could become a place where we fought at all times against the chains of legalism? One of our elders was down here afterwards, and we were talking about this, and I was like, man, we got to remember, we are not exempt from this. This isn't our parents' problem, legalism. It's all of our problems. If you're here today and like, do I struggle with legalism? Can I help you? Yes, you do, somewhere. What if Hill City can be a place that we step away from the shadows into this genuine, honest faith in Jesus because legalism promotes hiding. It's so focused on what do other people think of me? How do I look today? Do, do people look at me and say, boy, he's got it figured out. That's what legalism focuses on, which the gospel says, no, of course I don't have it figured out. If the gospel's true, you have nothing to hide. That's what we say, what if Hill City Church can be a place where I don't have to hide anymore to impress you? Where you can go to your city group and actually take off the mask and say, here's who I really am. And be met with the kindness of God that actually leads to repentance. Every other week, I have this conversation from someone here. Hood, I have um, community, but it's false. Uh, I have friends. I have a city group but no one knows me. Every other week I have this conversation um, where it's like it's forced. And if we're honest, it's a slow death. It's a slow death. What would it look like in your city groups, in your, in your community, to have a place where you can share incredibly difficult things in a place of complete safety? A place where I can say, okay, this is what's true of me brokenness, and to be met with, here's what's true of you, your identity. That's where change will happen. You want that. Here's what it takes. Integrity. It's going to take city group leaders with the integrity to come here and come forward and say, listen guys, I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to try to impress you anymore. This is who I am and I need your help to keep growing in Christ. Some of you need to be that for your group, for your city group. 
to say, okay, can we quit talking about our kids and our pride and we can actually talk about what we need to talk about? I came across this quote, this book, it's from a, uh, this week, it's from a fiction book called The Nightingale. I thought it was great. She said, I always thought it was what I wanted, to be loved and admired. Now I think perhaps I'd like to be known. Are you known? See, legalism promotes a faith where you need to be admired. And it's chains. And the gospel is a faith where you're invited to be known. Do you have a community where you don't have to pretend? And some of you are grieved right now, and I grieve with you. You're like, no, I don't. You may have to be the one to create that community. I talked with, with uh, one of our good friends this week. He went and created this community on her own because she didn't have it. Have it. She just invited some ladies in, and the only rule was you got to be real, and you're not gonna, we're not going to do this whole thing where we just sit around and talk about nothing. And she created it. Do you long for something more where you don't have to pretend? So Emily and I do a marriage conference a couple times a year. It's next weekend. We have 25 couples. And here's what always happens. The first day everyone comes in, it's like, oh, we have a great marriage. Everything's great. And then through some realness that Emily and I will do and then other couples, about the second day, it's like, okay, here's what's really going on. And it's beautiful. Do you have that? Some of you are so burdened right now. You have been trying to earn your way to God your entire Christian life, and you're exhausted. And you've been trying to measure yourself by other people and live according to other people's rules, and you are exhausted. And may I give you the words that Jesus gave to some people. Uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. See, Jesus at the center actually invites rest because it's no longer about you and what you're doing. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Hear me, Hill City Church, legalism has a burden to it. You always have to work harder. The way of Jesus known and I'm loved in spite of my sin and then I'm invited to keep growing that's what the new life in Christ looks like do you want it is the question let's pray together